Hello, and welcome to the Tales from Heriot's podcast, fourth episode. I'm your host, William Ringham, a former pupil from Heriot's from the class of 2020. Previously, we have looked at the life of George Heriot, tried to uncover some mysteries during the time when the original hospital building was being built, and discussed curious tales from the very early days of the hospital. Today, we will look to what life was like for the boys at Heriot's in the 1800s and see how it contrasts the life at the co-ed school today. How much do you think has changed and what do you think happened in the 19th century that still continues to this day? There is one shared memory between all Heriot's, past and present. A traditional annual celebration set out in the original statutes of the hospital in 1627. A celebration to take place on the first Monday of June to celebrate the life of the founder, George Heriot. This celebration is evidently June Day. Contrary to what the statutes had laid out, however, June Day was only strictly celebrated on the first Monday of June in 1885, and before such date, it was celebrated on any day that the governors felt was appropriate during the month of June. The June Day celebration always has and will commemorate the life and generosity of the pious founder of the school, George Heriot. Yet the celebrations from the 1800s compared with now vary significantly. Prior to 1827, the practice of busking, or in other words, decorating the statue of George Heriot on the north side of the quadrangle, used to take place in spectacular fashion. The old Callants, the name that used to refer to the boys who had left the hospital, would decorate the walls of the quad with shields, thistles, cornucopias, the crown and other such items that were emblematic to the name and character of Heriot. Flowers were also placed in the hands of the statue of George Heriot. This tradition resurfaced in 1859 for the 200-year celebration of the opening of the hospital. Floral decorations are still created today for June Day, with wreaths laid by many Heriot clubs being hung in the quadrangle. However, it is not nearly as extravagant as the displays as seen in years gone by. Interestingly, June Day was also celebrated by many Edinburgh residents, not just those who were pupils or former pupils at the school. All of Edinburgh experienced the benefits that George Heriot brought to the city in his time, and generations of families always made sure to be present at the June Day celebrations. Pupils from other schools would also attend, including Watson's, believe it or not. The pupils from George Heriot's foundation schools were also always in attendance, as they too had George Heriot to thank for their charitable source of education. Any persons who couldn't make the celebrations at the hospital itself would always intend to find the time to follow the crowds to the meadows, where games were played until the sun went down on the festive day. The celebrations at the hospital would consist of many songs being sung by the boys, which would conclude with the national anthem. Before the use of the merry month of June as the school's June Day hymn, a new song was composed every year for the boys to learn. The joyous chanting would be followed by a dinner held for the boys, where they were each offered a glass of wine for the various toasts that followed throughout the ceremonious day. These days, the June Day celebrations nonetheless carry the same feeling of thankfulness to George Heriot, even if the celebrations happen with slightly less vigour. The whole school is addressed on the East Lawn by the principal, school captain and chair of governors, before a rendition of the merry month of June. The pipe band serenades the pupils as they walk out with military precision. There is still a service held at Greyfriars Kirk in memory of George Heriot and a governor's dinner where further tributes are paid. At the original governor's dinners, George Heriot's own so-called loving cup, crafted from a nautilus shell, was passed round and drunk from. 
The authentic cup is no longer in use, but a detailed and ornate replica still serves as a replacement at the governor's dinners on June Day. The early 19th century was also a time when Heriot's was still considered and acted as a hospital school rather than solely being titled as a school, a change which happened in 1886. Boys still boarded in the hospital, and this required a mammoth amount of catering and other provisions to be acquired by the governors. An advertisement in the Edinburgh Evening Current from December 6, 1817, lists the enormous requirement for one year at the hospital. It highlights the need for 40,000 loaves of bread, 1,200 stones of butcher's meat, 12,000 pints of best sweet milk, 336 gallons of good table beer, the making of 400 suits of clothes, 175 good leather caps, and 700 pairs of shoes. This list is simply staggering. In comparison with today, the school still provides meals at the refectory, yet it is safe to say that there is no beer on the list of goods required by the catering team. Sports at Harriet's has certainly changed quite dramatically since the 1800s. Up until 1887, games were played on the lawns and occasionally the meadows. With games being played so close to the school, the need to buy a new area for sport was due to the fact that windows kept on having to be replaced on the old building, and it was therefore deemed to be cost-effective to buy external grounds for sport and not having to keep repairing smashed windows. So, in 1887, the governors bought ground just off Warriston Road. This location was quickly also deemed unfit to play on, as the land was far too boggy and there was only room for one cricket square, one rugby pitch and only one football pitch. It was in 1899 that Harriet's bought the land that we currently know as Golden Acre, which was an 11-acre site that was then home to the Bangham Nursery. Most sports were played in the 1800s, and among the boys and the rest of society, football was certainly most popular, even more popular than rugby. However, this time saw football coming under scrutiny, as the 1922 Heriotur that discussed sport in the early days of Heriots described football as follows. Vernacular of the supporters of some of the visiting teams being too sultry for schoolboy years. This created tension around the boys at Heriots being allowed to play football, and when it became a professional sport, thereby turning what was originally a very good game into a trade, the school gave football the boot and stopped the boys from playing it, allowing them to give their full attention to rugby, a game that Heriots immediately excelled at, and one that still has a place in many a Heriots' heart. Nowadays, pupils at Heriots have a much wider range of sports to play. Pupils and former pupils proudly represent the school and the nation at rowing, rugby, football and hockey, to name but a few. Pupils still compete proudly whilst representing Heriots, especially against other rival schools. These rivalries date all the way back to the 19th century and beyond, with Watson's boys being the primary target for the Heriotters. In the 1800s, fights among the boys at Watson's and Heriot's were far from unusual. This was when Watson's was located opposite Heriot's, where the old infirmary stands today. The Heriotters were known to march en masse to their neighbours over Lorison Place, armed with catapults and makeshift bludgeons. The last of these bombardments took place around the 1870s, just before the final breaking up of Watson's Hospital. The catalyst for this final assault was all down to a Watsonian, who at the time asserted that all heritors wore paper collars, an insult of the highest regard, as it was firstly not true, and secondly was entirely distasteful due to the fact that Heriots was known for providing specifically foundation of positions at the hospital. 
The Watsonians were ignorant to the fact that this insult carried such an offensive meaning towards the boys at Harriet's. The ignorance was clear to see, as when the Harrieters rushed into Watson's expecting to find a fiery opposition, they were only to be met by the Watson scholars playing peacefully in their fields. The Harrieters did not hold back, however, and they carried out their ambush, chasing the Watsonians and beating the ones that they could, before being chased by the police themselves. The rivalry of the two schools remains today, yet they tend to battle it out on the rugby or hockey pitches in a more civilised fashion, and not with full-on fisticuffs. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Tales from Harriet's podcast. I hope you enjoyed finding out about some of the traditions that remain the same at the school and how it has differed since the 19th century. 